I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Art Attack. Today on Art Attack, we are featuring the leaf-blowing sounds in the background. (laughs) And there's no way out of that shit. So today, we are here, as usual, with the great Lizzie Dastin, art history professor, myself, artist, and the sound, the music that you hear, Manny Tapia is in here as well, as is the leaf blowing sounds in the background. So today we are going to talk about somebody who transcends architecture, somebody who goes to the level of artistry and transformational artistry. In other words, like Picasso has had many styles of art and architecture over the years. And that person I'm talking about is who? Frank Lloyd Wright. Now, Lizzie, I don't think we've ever talked about an architect before. We haven't, which is really exciting because architecture is not often included in traditional art history classes. And I think that that is a massive blind spot. Architecture is so important, but since architecture is equally about ingenuity and mechanics and science, it doesn't fit within this easy trajectory of fine art forms or things that are considered easily fine art forms like painting, sculpture, print, etc. So I personally really like to include architecture because I see it as kind of functioning similarly to street art because both have to have an awareness of community and architecture is livable art. And how often do we pass by a building and just not really notice it? And it's the same, I think, with a beautiful mural, that if your eye isn't fine-tuned to see it, you pass it over and over and over without acknowledging it. But then once that shifts for you, you're never going to walk by that mural and not look at it. You're never going to walk by that building and not see the graceful curves of whatever uh, structure it has. So I think, yeah, that architecture is really foundational. Frank Lloyd Wright is this master, and I'm excited to get to talk about him. Well, I like that you said that, you know, architecture has to interact. We're interacting with helicopters. We're interacting with leaf blowing. We're interacting with people in the studio filming us. And really, you know, the great writer and scientist Gert said that architecture is frozen music. Ooh, Ooh, beautiful, right? And that's really profound because Frank Lloyd Wright is a musician a poet of of space he really is mm-hmm. um when i think of frank lloyd wright i mean i'm you know i went to art center college of design in pasadena so there's some of his greatest works in pasadena but frank lloyd wright and we could get into his early history first but we know that he landed in los angeles he landed here during uh, a time when la was going through a huge population boom. And because of that, Frank Lloyd Wright built a lot of stuff here. So we are right in the epicenter of a lot of his ingenuity and his designs and his creations. And over the years, I've been lucky enough to, you know, to go there as you probably have. And I was always t- I was also telling you earlier that a lot of people copy Frank Lloyd Wright as you are an originator, people will 
copy you. There's going to be all of these facsimiles out there in the world. Every artist, every great artist, every great architect, every great poet, people are going to try to do your shit. So there's a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright type of stuff that's watered down. And there's one up my street. I'm not going to say where I live, but there's a lot of stuff that's almost Frank Lloyd Wright, but something is just not right. And that's the difference with greatness and with mediocrity. Mediocrity is everywhere. That is omnipresent. Greatness is very rare. And Frank Lloyd Wright was fucking great. He was. And before we talk about specific examples of his architecture, I just want to frame architecture in the United States because I think this history is so rich and dynamic and innovative and definitely worth mentioning, especially since we've never talked about architecture together. So between about 1890 and 1915, there was a boon in architectural innovation. Do you have any idea why? Because Frank Lloyd Wright was on the scene? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> this is brief. <laughs> That's good, though. It was because of two things. Okay. There was a huge increase in population. Okay. And so if you can't build out, like in Manhattan, you have to build up. But also, and most importantly, because of the Industrial Revolution. So now, all of a sudden, materials like iron first and then eventually steel were at the disposal of architects. And so what this does... Rebar, specifically. What is that? That's a material that's needed oh. for building. I mean, that's Cool, that's steel. too. Yeah. Thank you, Industrial Revolution. So now we can make things cheaper, stronger, taller. Mm -hmm. It just opens up this entire space for innovation. And the rise of the modern skyscraper, and a skyscraper would be an example, like a Mies van der Rohe, something that is, it's called the international style because it could function downtown any city across the world. There's nothing site-specific about a skyscraper. But the road to the skyscraper happens in Chicago and New York. New York, because of the spatial parameters, we can't accommodate all of these immigrants who are relocating from their country of birth, filtering through Ellis Island, where do they go? And in Chicago, it happened actually first because there was a huge fire in the late 1800s and it just decimated the buildings. And so now we have this need for new spaces. And because of industry and these new techniques, we have this opportunity to really build in a way that we hadn't. And I share this history for two reasons. One, because there was this architect in Chicago named Sullivan, and Sullivan was the mentor to Frank Lloyd Wright, but also because this is such an integral moment in the history of art in the United States, because before this time, the U.S. is always kind of derivative of Europe, mm -hmm. always looking to see what's happening abroad. How can I translate that to my own local audience? And for the first time, we become the tastemakers. So architecture has a particularly profound relationship to the United States. But Frank Lloyd Wright is not building up, right? I mean, Frank right. Lloyd Wright is uh, from Wisconsin, from a very small rural area. And Frank Lloyd Wright starts out on the scene as a very great student of architecture, but starts out doing these really cool-looking prairie homes, right? 
So it's a whole, I mean, is he, is he really influenced by the Industrial Revolution? I don't think so. It just gives more of a space for architectures to design, but more materials, I see what you mean. Yeah, exactly. And I just I show that history because the, the history of architecture within the United States was an influence to him, but those buildings were all, or predominantly for corporate spaces. They were industrial buildings, and Frank Lloyd Wright typically does domestic homes. So right. you're not going to build a very tall single family home and you're right his structures are really defined by their horizontality especially buildings in Chicago Wisconsin prairie states and they're called the prairie style and I, and I use uh, Frank Lloyd Wright you know when I was developing my TV show for Comedy Central Urbania a lot of the visual development that we did was very horizontal and very Japanese you know and I think Frank Lloyd Wright his early work, so weird, right? His early work in architecture, which it was, yeah. because he had a lot of styles. So his early work was very reminiscent of that Asian kind of flavor where it really just integrated well in space. It had a livability, more of a livability than his, than his later work, which was much more influenced by Mayan architecture, and it felt more like these sarcophaguses or these tombs, right? But his early work was cool. Like, I, I could say, yeah, I want to live there. That's a cool spot. Like, if I had a Frank Lloyd Wright house, like the early Prairie ones, I would just be styling, profiling. But the newer <laughs> ones, I'd be a little freaked out to live in the newer ones. I'd be honest with you. Like, they're freaky. They're freaking gorgeous. But they're definitely, even spending 24 hours in them would feel like spending 24 hours in a pyramid. Yeah, I think that's, you made a lot of really good points, and I just want to comment on all of them, but the Mayan Just comment on one of them. Just one. By the way, but besides the sound of the leaf blowing, the helicopters, we now have rain. Oh, it is great. A, this is the <laughs> ultimate architecture episode because we have we have to integrate with the elements. Totally. It's a holistic experience. Exactly. It's a performance piece. So... Now I've forgotten all the points. No, I'm kidding. So the Mayan architecture is specific to his houses in Los Angeles because mm -hmm. they reference our, the relationship between the city and Mayan historical roots. So there is always a, an emphasis on local culture in Frank Lloyd Wright's homes, which I think is great that he is trying to honor the site. Can you talk about like the, the house in Pasadena, which I think is one of his most beautiful uh which one you tell me <laughs> there's a famous house in pasadena but it's not a frank lloyd wright so that's why i want to know what which you're... one it's this uh, <laughs> arts and crafts style house no the frank lloyd wright in pasadena well you look that up but i'm okay. going to talk about the mayan oh no talk about so, the Mayan. yeah so that one is very oppressive and it was actually used it's used in many films and tv shows it was the house of blade runner and so when you say that it's kind of mm. ominous and you wouldn't want to spend time there i got you I agree with you. And then Frank Lloyd Wright's son, he designed in a similar Mayan style, and he designed the Snowden House, which is where the Black Dahlia murder apparently happened. So I wouldn't really want to be in any of these homes, but talking about Lloyd Wright's innovations, he really wanted to disavow himself from Europe and the expectations of domestic architecture that is found abroad. And so what that meant in the 1930s in homes, there were tons of tiny little rooms. It was kind of like a doll's house, very precious. Everything was very small and contained like these tiny little boxes. And so Frank Lloyd Wright 
knocked down all of those walls and was the first person to really celebrate open space. And that was one of his huge innovations. He also hated basements, hated attics, because those Mm -hmm. were European conventions. Mm -hmm. And his roofs are often low-pitched, and perhaps that's because he's echoing the prairie landscape. Perhaps that's because of his influence in Japanese style. But also, he was of modest height. He was about 5'8", and he said that anyone above 5'10", it was just an abomination. And so his ceiling. an abomination, everybody. I'm six <laughs> feet tall, so what an abomination. You just had to get that are. in there. He's so tall and handsome. No, I'm just <laughs> an abomination, clearly. <laughs> well, for Frank Lloyd Wright. Why did he say that that was an abomination? What a weird. He was a very. He not, was a weird dude. He was I, a weird dude. Oh, my God. So weird. There's he was not also, even. We can't even like. Look, you know, like Rembrandt, you need 30 hours on Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> but this is a highlight reel. We got to do highlight reels because we can't spend, you know, five episodes on Frank Lloyd Wright, although we should eventually. But he was a weird dude. Can I talk about some of the ways Please. in which he was weird? Okay, so the height thing is one, and that that is the reason for the low ceilings. And so his eccentricities did manifest in the architecture. So we're not just gossiping about the guy. They actually inform our understanding of the work that he built. So that was one. He, this is maybe gossip, but whatever, it's interesting. He was so eccentric that he loved to wear these big velvet cloaks mm. and he would always walk around with a cane. Yes. Not because he needed one, right. but because he liked to assert his presence and smack things. Also, and I respect this. Uh, by I'm, the way, the cloak and, and pain awesome. is genius. I, I know mean, you I, should wear that. <laughs> I feel like I've been searching for a look for some goddamn. <laughs> I painted my I painted my fingernails, but that's really didn't do shit. That was my daughter saying, "You got to paint your fingernails. It'd be cool." I did it, and she was like, "Why'd you do that?" But I was trying to be Frank Lloyd Wrightian and eccentric. But he's a re- he was the real deal. Yeah, you have a ways to go. Oh, so he it. also did not like to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. He was not a rule follower. No, I respect that. So what this meant is that he never paid his debts. He apparently was known throughout Wisconsin. He would just go to a bakery, order what he wanted, and he left. And he was often followed by benefactors who would pay the tab. And then, (laughs) this is so funny, so he didn't (laughs) like to be confined by driving rules. And so he just didn't follow traffic laws. And Mm. so his driver's license was taken away. So he And he also, he didn't like the rules of language. So he didn't say living room he said spring room he didn't like students so he said apprentice he just did Mm. whatever he wanted i mean you know look and obviously some of this is what defines an artist right an artist is somebody that doesn't really think inside of the box they draw outside where he's not confined to a rectangle western traditional piece of paper he was the kind of guy that drew outside of that but As you know, that creates problems as well. As did his interest in many of his patrons' wives. That wasn't the best. Are you talking about Cheney? There are so many. I don't know. Is that the one one with the Taliesin? Yeah, the one that he left his wife for, and then and then she was also the one. May May, right? Was her name? Yeah. May May Cheney. I just remember Cheney because of Dick Cheney. So May May was he was on one of his one of his travels. And he left the love of his life, uh, who was a very equal to him, which was shocking because no one he ever felt was equal to him. But she definitely was intellectually and otherwise. And he left her at the house. And one of the servants had gone mad. And the servant had a hatchet 
and wound up killing other servants, but also wound up butchering his wife and then burning part of his house down in Taliesin. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of Miss Cheney. Uh, and whether it was karmic or not, who's to say? But it was some dark, dark shit. Yeah, and drama definitely surrounded him. And when you said in the beginning that you'd prefer to live in his earlier homes than his later, that... I love his later, but I would prefer to live. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think that actually all of his homes are difficult to live in Mm -hmm. because he not only designed the facade or the outside of the structure, but he also designed the furniture. Mm. And he would build build in shelves and any kind of furniture that he wanted and he was known for breaking into the homes after hours and rearranging the furniture as he wanted and this he's such a difficult man he gave out these three by three red square stickers I guess for his patrons who actually followed his rules so it was like a gold star yeah. an architectural gold star and he designed not a jewish gold star not to be confused by the way everybody wow you just took it there <laughs> <laughs> so he designed 500 homes or 500 of his homes were built mm-hmm. 400 today remain extant and only 12 received the jewish gold star So that's kind of fascinating. He was a very difficult man. And the rain is appropriate because people who actually live in Frank Lloyd Wright homes, they always complain about the leaky roofs. And why is that? I mean, let's talk about the structural engineering of of why it was not great. Because, Because was it because he was kind of designing with a sense of his own, you know, ideas and really not subscribing to like, this is what is really successful substantial roof should be like but he was like no no forget that it's all in other words he put it seemed like he always put design and aesthetics before pragmatism i think that's right and it's got to be right yeah it it has got to be i think that's the best way of describing it i'm thinking to his most iconic structure which is falling water where's falling water I knew you were going to ask me. I think it, well, it's definitely on the East Coast. Because we're showing it on the screen right now. Where's falling water? Uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Somebody double check me. You'll see soon enough. I think it's Pennsylvania. You'll see it right here. (laughs) So that one is the greatest example of his more mature style. And he uses an innovation of poured concrete to create the cantilevered structure that you see. And basically. Can you back up and and explain to not only me, but to our viewers, what the. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not. It's Pennsylvania. It is Pennsylvania. Okay, cool. Okay, so that means, do you see those big elements of the house that are jutting out? Mm -hmm. So that's a a canty level because they aren't all stacked up on top of each other. They come at different angles. Okay. And when he poured the concrete, essentially, the second the house was done, the concrete started to crack. And so it's structurally sound, but it needs additional support and foundation Mm -hmm. but i think in his mind he put the form over the function Mm -hmm. which is that very helpful adage about architecture which one follows which form or function and for him i do think that it was the form and for this particular example he sourced all of the rocks from the local environment and so it really does come out of the outcropping of the land, which I think is gorgeous. It's just, it's this beautiful interplay between domestic and public, between really public and private. And the house emerges 
elegantly from, from the, the landscape. landscape. Yeah. yeah, much like Michelangelo sourced his marble from his quarries, much like uh, Frank Lloyd Wright also did that uh, color palette wise. You know, in Taliesman, uh, he would source the the kind of tan landscape and bring that tan color that kind of burnt sienna into the homes which is really cool you know what i mean it's like this this respect and understanding of how the environment really interplays and he doesn't disconnect oftentimes architects really don't think about the environment that they're from uh don't think about like integrating it and i think now it's interesting because he was a little bit of a a Sybil in a way where he could see the future because now we have to move into architecture that is symbiotic with uh, with nature, you know, and I think that, you know, the 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 further we get into the future, the more that it's going to have to be part of the the earth and, and it has to ebb and flow and in every way, you know, it's going to obviously get more more advanced with, you know, water systems and food systems, agriculture, etc. in our homes. But he he did it for sure design-wise, palette-wise, and aesthetically. He did, in almost a postmodern way, which is really prescient because he's working decades before that type of architectural methodology started to be interesting. So I think that we should talk about one structure that is the most iconic Frank Lloyd Wright in Los Angeles, because that's where we are, and that's the Hollyhock House. Hollyhock House. Amazing. And you talked about how he didn't really have an easy relationship with strong women. And so the Hollyhock House is the best example of that. And by the way, that. that's the Hollyhock House, just to contextualize, is a house that was done in Barnsdale, right? Yeah. Right here in Los Feliz. Exactly. And it was in Barnsdale Park, and anybody can go there, Hollyhock House. I've been there. I've taken drawing classes up there, and you could just walk there. And uh, write graffiti on the wall. No, don't do that. That would be just sacrilegious. Of course, don't <laughs> do that. And on Fridays, all. they have wine tasting. It's really fun. Actually, okay. Hollyhock was closed for a really long time for renovation. And when they opened it up, Barnsdale Park, named after Ms. Barnsdale, who was the patron of Hollyhock, they did something that was ingenious. They said it's open for 24 hours straight. And that's the only time that you can go in and take photos. Wow. And I thought, well, I've got to do this for my students. Sure. So apparently there was a line even at three in the morning, four in the morning. And I got to go and take photos of the interior. And it was a really special experience. But this was a commission that he received from Miss Barnsdale, mm -hmm. who was very wealthy, I believe, from oil. And she was also the director or at least a high up person in a theater company. And so he was designing the house to accommodate her lifestyle, but not too much because this is Frank Lloyd Wright and he doesn't take direction and especially direction from a woman. And he hated working on this project. She hated working with him and it was so contentious that she never lived there. It was just too much. So the house itself has all of these incredible hollyhock motifs, which is a plant that is indigenous to Europe and Japan. Mm, that's and, right. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. beautiful. And it's yeah. stylized in the spring room because now I, I no longer say living room. Sure. It's only the spring room. Has this phenomenal fireplace that was built in and it's almost in this art deco style. And he designed a mini amphitheater for her in the or on the grounds. And Ms. Barnsdale, she's like, I just don't want to live here. It's too small. It doesn't fit my needs. So she ended up investing in another semicircular amphitheater, and she built the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. Yeah. So, guys, if you don't know Frank Lloyd Wright, now you have a little insight 
into this insanely creative mastermind. Uh, also, we do this because we love doing this. And all we ask from you is to follow us on Instagram at Art Attack, A-R-T-A-T-T-A-C-K. Podcast. Art Attack Podcast. Yes. <laughs> I never even fo- I got to follow <laughs> Do that. you follow us? No, not at all. I'm going to follow right He's now. He's too cool. Art Attack. Here he is in his little velvet cape. Art Attack with my cloak. Art and my cane that I'm going to hit something. With. Art Attack Podcast on Instagram. Please write us a review on iTunes. The tune that you are hearing is Manny Tapia, who works here at Boo Studios. That is his music. It's incredible. It's an intro. It's an outro. So pay attention to that as well. And in addition, thank you guys so much. We love doing this show. Peace.